0: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or shall I say our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and happy Easter to you this morning. Now, I don't say that wondering if you were here last week when we celebrated Easter Sunday. I tell you that, and I say that, and you're going to hear me say that, to remind you that Easter is not just one day. It's a 50-day season. Easter goes from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday that we're going to celebrate here in about a month. And it's to help us to remember to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus in an active kind of way. Just kind of a way of reminder, Lent is 40 days long, 46 on the calendar technically, but even that is shorter than the Easter season that we're celebrating right now. So we're going to be talking about that day, we're going to be talking about events around there as we go through um, this Easter series and celebration. Now this morning I'll remind you of uh, the things that we've been talking about, how the ancient rabbis said that um, scripture was like a beautiful gem. No, and as you turn that gem in your hand, it reflects different light, and you see different things. The same thing with Scripture. As we read these very familiar stories that we're talking about these last several weeks and, and months, Um, These very familiar stories, as we turn these gems of of scripture in our hands, we should see different things. And as Josh said a moment ago, you know, if you look deep enough into that gem, the rabbi said, you should see your reflection come out of it. You should see your reflection in those verses, in that scripture, and in these stories. And I'm telling you the truth, until we do that, until we read ourselves into these stories, um, we're missing the point. These aren't just fables, something that we learn a lesson from. These are something that we need to experience. So this morning, we're going to experience some things here. And so I want to start with um, talking about a a rock this morning. And no, not Jesus, our rock. This is just a regular, ordinary rock, Um, uh, a special rock, but a rock nonetheless, found in uh, a mine, a diamond mine in Africa. And it might have looked something like this one right here. Sorry, there's no scale there. That's kind of the size of a very small fist, right? Made it look something like that. And all it looks rough and uh, looks kind of sorry. It's considered, it was considered the most significant rock um, ever found in the world, ever. Like the best diamond. It was presented to the king of England to blaze um, in his royal crown. And the king immediately sent it to Amsterdam. um, And it was put in the expert hands of the world's finest Lapidaries, by the way, that's the word of the day. A lapidary is a person who polishes rocks and makes them beautiful. So they put in the beautiful or the hands of a very skilled lapidary uh, to be fitted into his crown. And you know what these guys did? Um, that head lapidary took that priceless gem, didn't look like this, but took that priceless gem, uh, the finest the world had ever seen, and he cut a notch in it. Then he took, you know, that, that hammer thingy that they use, Right? This is actually my grandma's potato masher, but uh, it's, it works like one of those, one of those hammers. Love, Grandma. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a chisel. They cut a notch in it. And I took it and he gave a good crack on it and, and ruined the whole thing, right? Split in two. And some of this, was this an act of carelessness or wastefulness, criminal act? Okay, not exactly. Um, it was not criminal. It was not reckless at all. See, for days, for weeks, for months, that, that one blow had been studied um, and plan, drawings had been made of this rock. Models had been made of that gem, its quality, its defects. Um, the lines of cleavage were looked at, studied to the minutia. And the one who would deliver that decisive blow was the most skilled lapidary the world had known at that time. So it was, it was not a mistake. No, it was the one thing that would bring that raw gem, that raw stone, um, that raw rock into its most significant gem, right? It was the thing that brought it to the, to the top. That blow would perfect its, um, its shapeliness, its, its radiness, radiance and um, the jeweled splendor that it was meant to be. It seemed to ruin that precious stone, but it was in fact its awakening. That blow seemed to ruin that precious stone, but it was actually its awakening. And from those two halves were produced not one, but two of the greatest diamonds the world had ever seen. That skillful eye of the lapidary saw hidden in that rough stone those beautiful gems that were there all along. Okay, so what does that have to do with the second Sunday of Easter? What does that have to do with the 50 days of Easter that we're talking about? Well, Easter is a a time, the season, that we celebrate literally God being the most skilled lapidary the world, or the universe, I should say, has ever seen. A few thousand years ago, he sent his most precious jewel, his son, to this earth, into a world with a divine plan that only his keen eye could see through. He could comprehend. Jesus came to earth and we, will, we were able to see and experience that most precious jewel that we had ever seen and yet not fully comprehend how precious that jewel was. The people that were experiencing Jesus understood he was a precious jewel, but they did not understand how precious and how special, how really rare this jewel really was. And then as we read earlier, Joshua's reading earlier in the fullness of time, Jesus literally put himself, Jesus put himself into the hands of the enemy. To be dealt a blow, right? To be dealt a blow. And to the unaided eye, it looked like a destructive blow. To the people that were around him, to the people that were experiencing that with him, it seemed like a destructive, reckless, wasteful blow that ended all of God's plan, but in fact set all of God's plans into motion. The enemy thought, you know, we'd had a victory. We won a victory here. Striking this blow was going to destroy this jewel. But God had other ideas, God had other ideas. His keen eye brought victory from that death blow, if you will. And even with being placed in the tomb for three days, you know, after that moment, and then rising back from the dead three days later, he came out even more dazzling than he went into that tomb. And just like that diamond I told you about, you know, that blow seemed to end that precious one. But in fact, it was his awakening. It's a very good thing we have five Sundays to celebrate Easter because there's a lot that went on after Jesus came out of that tomb. And we're going to discuss some of those. So so with that idea as our backdrop this morning, I want to take a few minutes and talk about um, the progression of the gospel message uh, uh, as Jesus um, lays it out for us. And I want you to put yourself in this narrative that we're going back into this morning. I want you to put yourself into the narrative that we're going to, to unpack here together this morning. You know, sometimes when you watch a movie play out, you can't help but be part of that scene, right? You can't help but be part, and your, um, your, you empathize with the people that are in it, and you experience what those people are experiencing. You cry at movies when things like that happen. Tell me that you're not being a part of that. That's how we have to read the gospel. That's how we have to put ourselves into God's message. See, okay, so pick up the story. These two disciples are on their way home. And it would have been enough of a letdown at that moment if that's just it, if they were just on their way home because, you know, they were at the the celebration of the year and now they're heading home. And you know how that is kind of a letdown and you're still excited about it, but... Everything that you just were looking forward to and to experiencing everything is now done. And now we're going home. And you're thinking about I gotta do all that laundry when I get home and I gotta go to work tomorrow morning, right? So that's where these two are walking. That's where these two are experiencing. Right. And we're about to read about what they were experiencing even further. So again, we'll use what what they were going through. We're gonna use what they were going through to help us navigate um, through the problems, the hang-ups and that we encounter in our experience, in in our relationship with God and our risen Lord Jesus. So we're going to use their experience to relate our experiences into what they were feeling and how we feel the same way. And sometimes we just don't admit it. We Sometimes we just don't write it down on a piece of paper like this. So the first challenge, they faced some challenges that first Easter morning and some time after that. So they they faced some challenges. The first challenge that they faced and that we often face together is just straight out confusion. Right, just straight out confusion. They, these two disciples, along with everyone else, they were confused about the events that unfolded. Right, that that rock got split in half, and now it was this beautiful rock, and now we've got the. So in this this whole scene, this whole scene plays out like a one act play. It plays out like a one act play, where where the viewers know something that the that the players don't. Right? We're told right from the jump Right, as they're walking along. And again, we've got to be able to relate this. We've got to be able to sympathize. We've got to be able to understand their confusion because there's a lot of times that we don't get told up front what's exactly happening the same way they didn't get told up front exactly what was happening. So as they were traveling along, a man joins them. And like I said, we're told from the jump that it's Jesus. In verse 15, I think it is. Uh, While they were talking and discussing, there it is, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. So we know that, right? Right? But he was kept, they were kept from knowing who he was. Right? And Jesus, always the good rabbi, does what good rabbis do. He asked some questions. He started asking some questions first, you know, to get things rolling, to get things started. Verse 17, he said. To them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? He's asking this question to get the conversation rolling, right? To get the conversation going in the direction that he wants it to go, not because he's wondering what they're talking about, right? This is a very um, uh, uh, colloquialism of, of the Greek language. This literally means these words that you're exchanging, what are these words that you're lobbing back and forth, kind of like a ping-pong ball or a tennis ball? What are these words that you're lobbing back and forth between each other here? And then it says, in, the scripture says, you heard me read a second ago, they stop dead in their tracks, And they look at this guy, their mouth is hanging open. And Cleopas says, dude, what do you think we're talking about? He said, what, you know, have you been stuck in a cave all weekend? And Jesus said, well, as a matter of fact, you know. (laughs) Cleopas says, don't you know the things that have happened here? And Jesus says in verse 19, the cliffhanger, he says, what? And now they got to be thinking, what do you mean, what things? And Cleopas lays it all out, the second half of 19. He says to to Jesus, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. But then, as Joshua read earlier in Acts, but the chief priests delivered him into the hands of evil people. They put him to death. They hung him on a cross. Cleopas goes on with that. He says, and we really thought he was the one. We really thought he was the Messiah, and now, here we are. We're going home, because it looks like the party's over. Verse 21a says, we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. It's significant that, that, that they use that word hope here. In the New Testament, sense, um, te- the word hope means means to know something, to trust something, to believe something. Now, how about you? Have you ever been there? Right where these disciples and the other disciples are. They said, we, we know. We're so sure. We saw, we witnessed, we experienced what Jesus can do. And yet here we are. Have you ever been there? Saying things like, I prayed so hard for something to happen. So many people were praying so hard for something to happen or to not happen, and yet here we are. I put my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus, and here we are. And they said that right to Jesus. And Jesus rolls up his sleeves. And asks another question that the rabbi would ask. He said, "Have you understood nothing that you've been reading that you've been taught from infant?" And it says this. It says Jesus started with the law and the prophets. That's like saying Jesus started at the beginning. The Hebrew Bible is in a different order than ours is. It starts with the law and then goes to the prophets. Literally, that's well. so it's saying he started at the beginning and laid it out from the very, from the very beginning and worked his way through it. And he said things, things might not be how you think they should be, right? Jesus said things might not be the way you think they should be. And he often says the same thing to us, right? He says the same thing. Being a Christian doesn't mean the world is made, now made out of nerf for you. Cars still crash. Houses still burn, People still die. And Jesus said to those two sitting at the table with him, it's the way the story continues for us that's different. The story is going to sound the same, but the way the story continues for us is different. The way the story continues, that's what makes a difference. And Jesus takes bread that we're going to do here in a little bit. He takes bread and he breaks it for them. And that's the moment that he chooses to reveal himself to them. When he told them everything, because think about it like this. If there's so much we could talk about this, we could literally make a six-week series out of this, just this one moment in time right here. But if Jesus had walked up to them and they saw that it was Jesus, they weren't going to hear anything that he told them. But starting with the law and the prophecy, he laid out the prophecy, he laid out Scripture where he was in Scripture the whole time. And I'll tell you this, man, I say this a lot, but if I had a time machine, this is the moment I'd pick to go back to. I want to hear what he's got to say. I want to hear what he's going to teach. I want him to open it up for us like he did for them. And we get close to it, but it didn't come straight from his mouth like that. But suddenly they recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus had been there all along. So their confusion immediately did a 180 and went to confession. Jesus opened their eyes. Confession in the New Testament is a compound word that means uh, to speak the same words, to agree with each other, to understand. And they said, didn't we know this all along? Didn't you feel it? I felt it. Didn't you? I didn't realize that I felt it, but I, I, now I know it. What were we thinking? And then they had to confess that they were thinking that things didn't look the way they wanted them to. Since things didn't look the way we wanted them to, we assumed that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Since things didn't look the way we wanted them to, the only conclusion we can come to is Jesus isn't who he said he was. And since things don't look the way uh, we want them to, right? sometimes we naturally assume that he can't do the things he said he could do. And now these two are kicking themselves, right, for falling into that way of thinking. Everything we saw, everything we experienced, and here we are, and now, here we are, right? And we fall, like I said, fall into that same category. We think being Christians means the world should be made out of nerf and everybody should be wrapped in bubble wrap. Completely protected from everything going on. Forgetting verses like Philippians 129. Here's what he has given to you to do for Christ. You must not only believe in him, but you must also suffer for him. Maybe we can just read that first part. Forget that second part. Well, then 1 Peter would have to go too. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in the name, in this name. Would you like to see the 25 cross-reference verses that I could use that say exactly the same thing? Translated, the world is not made out of nerve. You are not wrapped in bubble wrap. So these guys were confused by what had happened. Ever felt confused by what happened or what is happening? God says that's okay to be confused by what has happened and what is happening. But like Jesus said, don't forget everything else that you know. That's basically what he said to those two guys sitting at the table with him, those two people sitting at the table with him. He said, You know all this. You've been taught this since you were an infant, and now let's just putting some dots together here to help clear up that confusion, to help your understanding. But God says it's okay to be confused by what's happening. Sometime, we're somewhere in the next four weeks, we're going to talk about doubts and fears. Because that's some of the stuff that we as Christians, we like to just sweep that under the rug and just pretend that doesn't even exist. We're just going to put that over there and we're going to come back over here and we're going to talk about believe and faith and just love Jesus. Right? We don't talk about that real stuff, but we're going to unpack that. Just like these guys unpacked it. And again, I keep telling you, and I keep saying, until we look in that gem and we see our reflection coming back out of it, and saying, "I'd be in the same place that those guys were," and I know they were. I would be there because I am there frequently. Since things aren't happening the way I want them to, to since things are happening disastrously, and you know it looks like a rock just got splitting, then clearly Jesus isn't who He said He was. That's where they were sitting. That's what they were saying. We had hoped. We thought he was the Messiah. Now, here we are. And Jesus said, yeah, isn't this the plan? Isn't this how the whole thing was supposed to go? Isn't this actually, you know, step? Isn't this, that's the script right here. And he laid it out for them. Don't forget everything else you know. So they started out confused. Did a 180 and that confusion became Confession. And now I want to talk about the conclusion with these two. The disciples, all the disciples, at this moment, are all confused. They're all perplexed. It's in a state of chaos right now. Jesus died. This is impossible. The fact that he got taken out of the garden was impossible. The fact that he stood trial, this this, this isn't happening. And yet, here we are. So they're confused, they're perplexed, state of cast, and then a crazy thing started happening. They all started having encounters with Jesus. And there's a common theme, there's a common thread that runs through them. So when you take that gem and you turn it over and over and over again, you start seeing this commonality, the things that are happening here. I'll tell you about it. He spoke to the women, to the, to the women at, the, at the tomb. And what did they do? They ran back to the disciples to tell them, to give them words of comfort, to give them words of reassure, or reassurance, to reassure them. At some point, we don't know where, at some point, though, Jesus went to Peter, appeared to Peter. What did Peter do? Peter went back to the disciples to tell them, right? to reassure them, to give them words of comfort, to give them words of peace. Jesus meets these two on the road, Right? And they sit down and they realize that they just had an encounter with Jesus. What do they do? They get up and they hightail it back to Jerusalem to tell the others. To give them words of comfort. To give them those words of reassurance. Jesus, you know, I talked a couple years ago. I gave a, a small a series about when Jesus shows up. But he shows up like he did to these two. He was there the whole time. They just didn't recognize it. So really that Jesus showing up is our eyes opening and realizing he's been here the whole time. And even though things don't look exactly like I want them to look, he's here and he's there the whole time. So the way Jesus shows up in our lives is too good to keep to ourselves. And somebody else might need to hear that. How Jesus affects our lives, the appearances that he's made. Because here's the thing. And there's, there's no getting around this. And one of the things that we have to be able to take from this Road to Emmaus moment oftentimes, the world is a battleground, not a playground. Oftentimes, the Christian life is a battleground and not a playground. So I'm not speaking for Jesus, I'm not using, but I think, you know, he would like to remind us of a couple of things. When we're sitting there saying, the world doesn't look the way I want it to do, therefore you must not be who I thought you were, because that's what it comes down to. But Jesus is going to say a couple of things here. He'd like to remind you that that his name is Jesus. We talked about the names of God, and we're going to get back to that again when we get through our series after Pentecost Sunday. The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. So he'd like to remind you that his name is Jesus. And we don't get the things that we want, right? When we ask him all the time, right? He'd like to remind you that his name is Jesus, not Genie. He'd also like to remind you that he came out of a tomb, not out of a lamp. He'd also like to remind you that sometimes that rock has to be split. Sometimes that rock has to be split in half to be able to release its purpose, its meaning, its significance. And please remember that God the Father is the expert lapidary and when con- when confusion comes not if when confusion comes we need to run to him and let him open our eyes i'm going to end with psalm 119 this is our prayer Open my eyes so I can see all the wonderful things in your teaching. God says, it's okay to be confused. It's all right. It's going to happen. But don't forget everything that I've taught you. Don't forget everything you know. It still applies. I'm still who you think I am. I'm still who I say I am. So when the confusion comes, run to him. Let him open your eyes. Amen? Okay, let's stand.